So we'll be in Judges chapter 6 tonight. So we'll go ahead and read the first few verses, and then we'll go ahead and get into our study. So beginning at verse 1, it says, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, and also Malachites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land and destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave, them, gave, um, and gave you their land. And I also said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So we'll stop right there and we'll pray. Father, we thank you for this time and your word and just being able to read it and um, apply it to our lives. May you speak in me and through me tonight. Um, may it be your words and not mine. And may you get all the glory for anything remotely wise coming for me, uh, from me, Lord. So we thank you again. And may you teach us your ways in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look in this portion of Scripture tonight, we're going to be here in Judges chapter 6. And as we come upon this right here in chapter 6, it's going to be the story of Gideon for the next few chapters. And a lot of us believers here, we're familiar with Gideon's story because he was one of the judges of the nation of Israel. He's a very well-known judge. And actually, he was the fifth judge of the nation of Israel. And again, he, he, a lot of the um, chapters are dedicated to him as well as a lot of the verses. But again, he was one of the uh, well-known, important leaders of the book of Judges. Gideon is even mentioned later in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 as one who, who was in the hall of faith and demonstrated great faith, um, as we saw as we were studying um, the book of Hebrews. So we'll see in chapters 6 and 7 eight, and, uh, and 8 as well that Gideon's story and how the Lord raised him up to be a judge over the nation of Israel and to deliver the nation um, from its enemies. And like I, I like to do when I study, I always like to give everyone a preview of what we just recently went over. So what we recently went over was Judges chapters 4 and 5, and it was the study of Deborah and uh, Barak and how the Lord used both of them to deliver the people of Israel from the Canaanite kingdom of Hazor. And this was because, again, the Canaanite kingdom of Hazor, it was viciously opposed to the nation of Israel. But we also see in the scriptures that, you know, God had caused that as well. And it was his doing against his people that God allowed the attacks to happen. And you may ask yourself, why did God allow the attacks? Why did he allow this to take place? And we read about the why in Judges chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. For it says right there in Judges 4, verses 1 and 2, When Ehod was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazard. So we see in this passage of scripture here the why. We see the why right here. 
And it was because the people of Israel did what? They did evil in the sight of the Lord. The nation had walked away from the principles of God and began to make a habit and practice of the nations around them and do the things which the Lord actually told them, hey, don't do, don't get involved in these things. And these practices, again, is just a reminder, they were the worship of idols, the worship of false gods. And these practices, they involved rituals um, and forms of sexual orgies and just outright immoral behavior. They also practiced divination, which also involved like illegal, what we consider today illegal drug use. You'd be using drugs and all that other stuff. And fortune telling and the calling of spirits from the dead and trying just to predict the future. So again, the nation of Israel, it forsook the Lord and it got itself involved in those practices. And because of that, the Lord lifted his hand of protection from the people. And the scripture says that they were brutally and harshly oppressed for about 20 years. And 20 years is a long time. That's a long time to be oppressed by a people. But again, Israel persisted in their own ways. They persisted in their own ways and they suffered the consequences for it until they realized, again, their own foolishness and repented of their ways. So we see what happens is that, you know, the people of Israel repented their ways and the Lord raises up Deborah as a judge and also uh, Barak as a military commander to deliver the people out of the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan, and also from Sisera, who was Jabin's military commander. And both Deborah and and Barak defeated the Canaanite army. And Sisera, if you remember him, he was the Canaanite, um, like I said, commander. He had fled during the battle when the battle was going on. And he later uh, went over to a woman's tent and he, you know, drank some milk and fell asleep in the tent. And then what happened with him is that the lady took the tent spike and, you know, splattered his head right there. And he, he was out after that. So that's how the victory came about on that one. And again, because of this victory, they sang the song of Deborah and Barak and they gave glory to the Lord. And the land, it says, it had rest for 40 years. And this is now where we pick up in, in chapter six of, six of Judges. So looking at verses 1 and 2 of Judges chapter 6, it says, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. So right here again, we see the cycle of sin that continues to happen with Israel. They had rest in the land for 40 years under Deborah as their judge, but once again, we see what happens. When the judge dies, what happens with the people of Israel? They so easily, what, forget. They forget the oppression that they were under. They forget what happened to them, and they get back involved in the evil practices of the pagan nations around them. And they fall back into sinful habits and just... um, doing what they want to do. Just in a a pattern of disobedience to God is what occurs. And we also see in verse 1 of Judges chapter 6 that the Lord delivered the people into the hand of Midian again. And again, God's hedge of protection was lifted from the people because of their disobedience to him. Here's something we need to remember. When you're obedient to the Lord, it brings his blessing. If you want to have blessings from the Lord, walk in obedience to God. If I want to walk in disobedience, it's going to bring what? His wrath is going to come upon me. That's what's going to happen. He's going to allow us to go our own way and reap what we sow at times. And again, this is a sad, tragic cycle in the book of Judges that you see that occurs over and over again because Israel was basically oppressed for seven years. And even during this period of time, while they had victory over their enemies, here's what ends up happening. A lot of people do what? They start to become comfortable. They start to become comfortable in what they're doing and how they're feeling and they forget about the Lord and they return right back into their sinful habits and practices of what the Lord brought judgment for on the people for. And again, that's something that you can even look at yourself and you could take as practical application. 
And I've said this before, and I've said it many times, and it bears repeating. We need to remember, just like the nation of Israel, whenever we decide as an individual, as a person, or even as a nation to go outside the will of God and do those things that the Lord has said, hey, don't do these things. When we decide to willfully do that and persist on that, then, and go our own way, he lifts his hand of protection from us. That's what happens. He lifts his hand of protection. And he'll allow us, again, to what? Suffer the consequences of our own actions until we realize, again, the foolishness of what's destroying us so we can repent of it and turn away from it. And as it says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will the Spirit reap everlasting life. And also in Psalm 106, at verse 15, it says this, And he gave them their requests, but sent leanness into their soul. And think about that scripture for a second, because that's pretty powerful. Because that scripture right there, it's speaking about the nation of Israel who were in the wilderness after they were delivered from slavery in Egypt. But again, what was happening was the people were complaining and saying evil things against God. And basically were saying, you know what, it's unfair because you know what, we're out here now and I don't have any meat and I want some meat and I want this and I want that. And they were better off slaves in Egypt. That's what they said. They were better off as being slaves rather than being in the desert with the presence of God. So again, because of this persistent complaining, it says again that what? Psalm 106, verse 15, the Lord gave them up to their request, but sent leanness unto their soul. And what that means right there, what that means is they wanted it so bad, they ended up getting what they wanted. But again, it was leanness. And we can practically apply that to ourselves and think about this for a second. When we persist in our own ways of doing things and going outside the will of God and desire those things that God has said, hey, don't get yourself involved in those things. If I want it so bad, if I want something so bad in that area, then I'm going to be enslaved and impressed by it later. The Lord will give that to me, but you know what ends up happening? I end up hating it later. If I desire something like, you know what, I want that relationship so bad. I want to go after it. I need that relationship. Or I want money, or I want prestige or fame or some position that I thought was great for myself, but the Lord is telling me, hey, you know, this is not good for you. But I'm figuring out ways of how I can get it and going around God's word, trying to dance around things just so I can get that so bad. You know what ends up happening? Sometimes the Lord will say, you know what, if you want that so much, I'm going to give it to you. And what happens? It ends up what? Not being a good thing for us. And I can say, I can attest that that's happened to me once. I don't know how many people have that happened to them. But you learn a lesson. You learn a lesson. The Lord teaches you. But again, when you do those things, it's nothing but sowing to the flesh. You want something so bad, but it's not a good decision. And again, we end up reaping those consequences. And because of that right there, when we want something like that so bad, that's not good for us. We're not going to have any peace in our life. We're not going to have any peace in, in that um, thing that the Lord has given us because it's not of him. It was never of him. And we've gone outside the will of God in our own pursuit and our own desire for something that he said, hey, you know what? This is not good for you. So again, we need to be careful what we desire what we pursue after, and make sure it's in what? In line with the will of God. Always make sure it's in line with the Lord's will. And you know, always remember this too. If the Lord says, hey, this is not good for you, think about this. He's not restricting me from something. He's not just holding back from something because that's the enemy. That's the enemy's lie he'll bring to our mind. Hey, the Lord is trying to hold out on you. 
He's trying to do this to you. If you remember back in the Garden of Eden uh, with Genesis chapter 3, what do you say to Eve? Has God, you know, has God really said? No, he's trying to hold out on you because you know what? He'll, you'll be as gods one day. And that's just a lie of the enemy. That's what he, he tries to bring that says, you know what? The Lord is holding back. But he's not holding back from us. And we need to make sure that our hearts are always in line with the Lord. And as it says in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 58, which was Solomon's prayer for the people, it says this, 1 Kings 8, 58, so that he may guide our hearts towards himself to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his ordinances, which he commanded for our fathers. And even as the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 37, he said this, turn my eyes away from looking at what is, at, I'm sorry, at what is worthless and revive me in your ways. And that's what we need to do. We need the Lord to do what? Turn our hearts, turn our eyes from looking at that which is worthless. I mean, so many times we can get caught up in things that are not worth the kingdom of God, pursuit of things that are not the things of God in our lives that he wants for us. But like the people of Israel, it can even happen to us as believers. When we get caught up in things of this world and the pursuits of this world, and we end up in a backslidden state, and this can happen, again, by making little compromises here and there in our walk with God and saying, you know what, hey, these little compromises are no big deal. And as a person, you can start making excuses for yourself or justifying the things that you're doing by, you know, you're all of a sudden you're not attending church service like you used to. You stop attending a Bible study. You stop reading your devotions. And you start saying, you know, I'm too busy. I'm too busy in my life. I got a lot of work going on. I got this going on. You know what, I'll, I'll catch up on that stuff later. Um, well, what happens after a while is you begin to drift. You start drifting away from the Lord. And you stop reading your Bible. You stop listening to Christian music. You stop fellowshipping with other believers. And pretty soon you're caught back up in the ways of the world. You're back into the old habits. Back into old habits and sinful lifestyles. And the areas which you once had victory in, those become what? They enslave you again. That's what ends up happening. That's why it's important to always stay close to the Lord. Be involved in the things of God in your life because it's so easy to get caught up in the ways of the world and especially in the age of today where we, we have cell phones, we have social media, we have a lot of things coming at us from the world. So again, you can easily forget about the things of God, especially as you're living comfortable if the Lord is blessing your life. Some people tend to forget about who is blessing them. And this is something to remember too. The moment you quit seeking God, the moment you quit seeking him, is when you'll become weak as a person and you'll be brought back under the control of the enemy. You're gonna be back enslaved. And it's, it's just a practice, a habit, just like you see in the book of Judges. The people have peace and then once ends up happening, they forsake the Lord and then they end up back in bondage. Give me one second, the paper's sticking. And again, you see with the nation of Israel, what? The cycle of sin occurs, and again, they're oppressed, and they're brutalized by their enemies. And we even read what the enemy does to them in verses 2 through 6 of Judges chapter 6. And I'll go ahead and read that right here back in verse 2. It says, And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up. Also, the Malachites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. 
For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. So right here in these passages, we see what? We see the Midianites, and they're brutally oppressing the people of Israel, and the hand of Midian is, like I said, it's against them. And why is that again? Because they forsook the ways of the Lord. And just to give you some background on the, on the Midianite people, they were an early um, Arabic nomadic tribe, largely known for like their wandering lifestyle. And they're also known for wrecking havoc on other tribes and people as they moved along. Um, and they were also too, if you guys don't know this, they were descendants of Abraham. Because after the death of his wife, Sarah, the scripture says that Abraham took another wife by the name of Ketra, who had bared, uh, birthed their son, Midian. And we read about that, and that's in Genesis chapter 25. It's verses 1 through 2, and I'll go ahead and read that real quick. It says, Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Ketra, and she bore him Zimran, Jukshan, Midan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shusha. Sorry if I butchered those names. I'm not a scholar in that. But, but again, here's what happens. And so the people of Midian, they settled in the land east near Israel. And most scholars believe the land of Midian was officially on both sides of the Gulf of um, Aqaba near the Red Sea. Though the Midianites were descendants, descendants of the Israelite patriarch Abraham, they ne were never considered part of God's covenant people like the Israelites. But again, they were a nomadic tribe moving from place to place. And they were raiders too. They were raiders. They were raiding and they were stealing, stealing crops, stealing goods from other people. And they had banded together also with the Amalekites who would also come up and raid Israel's crops as well. But the people of Midian, they were especially brutal to Israel. They're very vicious and very brutal to them. And when I use that word brutality, think about that. It speaks of like savage physical violence or great physical cruelty or just deliberate violent meanness. And one of these reasons for this against the people of Israel is because if you, when you look at it, there was an old rivalry between them. It was old, old rivalry, what you call like black, bad blood between uh, Midian. There was a history of just fighting between one another. Because after the exodus from Egypt, the people of Israel, they were heading towards the promised land. And at first, the Midianites, they were friendly to the Israelites as long as they traveled and traversed only on the outskirts, on the pastures of which it was, didn't belong to them. But when the Israelites passed the southern end of Edom and they entered into the land of Midian, the Midianites joined with Balak, who was the king of Moab at the time, in a conspiracy to try and destroy the people of Israel and try to get them cursed. And you can read about that in Numbers chapter 22. And so what happens on that is Balak, the king of Moab, he hires Balaam, if you guys remember, Balaam the prophet, prophet of God from the Mesopotamia area. And he tries to do... What he tries to do is manipulate God so that he can curse the people of Israel rather than bless them because Balak was willing to do what? Pay, pay him large sums of money to curse the children of Israel so that he can weaken the nation and destroy them from coming in their land and basically drive them out their land. So Balaam, you know, tries to curse the people of Israel, but he can't. And what happens is um, he can only bless them with God's will. And so after that, he's like so greedy for money. He's like, you know what? I really want these riches and what you're offering me. So what ends up happening is he, he devises a plan. He devises a scheme. And he says, hey, this is how you're going to get the Israelite people. I'm going to get these people to um, be cursed by the Lord. But here's how you're going to do it. I can't curse them themselves. Uh, no one can curse them. But you can get them cursed by having them go outside of God's will. Have them go outside of the Lord's will. 
have them be seduced uh, sexually with Moabite and Midianite women, get them involved with eating food sacrificed to idols. And that's basically what Balak does. He has Midianite women and um, seduce the men of Israel, and they have like a pagan feast. And what happens is they start to sleep with the women that are around there, and a plague is caused by the Lord that breaks out on the people, and about 24,000 people die that day. And the plague was only stopped when one of the men of Israel by the name of um, Phineas, he took a spear. He was one of the leaders of Israel at the time. He took a spear, and one of the men, they had actually taken a Midianite woman in the tent, and he had put him in the tent. He was about to have some relations with him, but this guy goes in there with a spear. He has a fire for the Lord, and he spears them both through. And you can read about that in Numbers 25 if you guys are interested in that story later. But from there, it stops the plague of what happens. So it's pretty graphic. That is pretty graphic of what happens, but that's just true. Um, so again, because of this incident with the Midianites, the Lord actually told Moses later, go and attack the people of Midian. Because of what they did to you, you need to attack them and you need to have war against them. And you can read about that. Like I said, that happens in Numbers chapter 31, but the Midianites are pretty beat up and they're nearly wiped out from the war. And that's what happens. But again, you can see the feud that happens. Why, why are they so angry? Why are they oppressing the Israelite people so bad? It's because of what? That old feud that's gone on for many years. And again, with this brutality, the Midianites, again, they would come up with the people of Israel. They'd set up their tents, basically their living quarters, and they'd plant themselves in the land. And they had like large numbers of people, large numbers of people just in the thousands. And they would be in the land, and then they, all of a sudden they would start raiding the land start raiding the people of the land. And again, it was, it, it was a brutal slaughter of people uh, and just taking their goods. And it was very much like cruelty towards them. And it says they left no sustenance for Israel. And that basically means they would leave neither food nor drink or livestock or anything which would be regarded as strength or nourishment. It was all taken away. And because of that, Israel was extremely poor and impoverished as a nation. So think about that for a second. Think about what's going on with that just the brutality of the people and the people hiding themselves in caves and just being in fear because of that. But again, all this happened because of what? They forsook the Lord. All these things were happening because they forsook the Lord. They forgot about the Lord. They were disobedient to his word. And as it says in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 25, and this was a promise to the nation of Israel that these things would happen if they continued in that. In Deuteronomy 28, 25, it says this, the Lord will cause you to be defeated by your enemies. You will go out one way against them, but you will flee seven ways from their presence. And you will be an example of terror to all the kingdoms of the earth. So right here, that scripture did come to pass for the, the nation of Israel. God's hand was against them. His hedge of protection was lifted from them because of their behavior. And their enemies, like I said, stole everything from them and brutally oppressed them and terrorized them and afflicted them. And when you think about that, that's practical application for us because we can learn from that and we can apply it to our lives. Here's the thing that you can learn from that, that God's word is true and that he keeps his word. He keeps his promises. And we need to pay close attention to what the Lord has to say because the fact that God is so exact in keeping his word and what he says in his promises, it's either going to bring great joy to a person or it's going to keep that person in fear. And it all depends on where you're at with the Lord. If you're walking in obedience with the Lord and, the, and you're straight with the Lord and everything's good, and the Lord is going to be blessing you. Now, if I'm walking in disobedience, I'm doing my own thing, I'm partying, I'm drinking, I'm holding on to pet sins, then I can guarantee you what's going to happen. I'm going to have a terror. I'm going to have a fear that my heart's not right with God. 
Because, again, what? His word is so exact. So, again, we need to always do what? Examine our own selves. Examine our lives. See where I'm at in the Lord. Know where I'm at. I don't want to deceive myself into thinking, you know what? God is pleased with me when, when he's not. If there's a behavior in my life that I need to give up, that the Lord is saying, hey, you know what? I've been talking to you about this. You need to give this up. So I need to do that. I need to examine myself. It's what the apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. He says this, examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. And also as the psalmist said in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, he said, search me, God, and know my heart. Put me to the test and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there's any hurtful way or wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. And that's something to meditate on. That's something to always examine in your own heart. Lord, am I pleasing to you? Am I walking in your ways? Am I walking in your statutes? Is there anything in my life that I need to give up? Because there's nothing worth holding on to. Life is so short. It's really short. It's like a vapor. And I've just been meditating on that lately because my, uh, my cousin passed away not too long ago. Uh, died on January 5th, 2024. So, and I was just talking with him on, was over his house for, you know, Christmas Eve, family was over there. And he was always a generous guy, real loving person. And then, you know, I was talking with him on New Year's Eve, or New Year's Day too, because my daughter was um, in the Rose Parade for high school. And I was, you know, I was really blessed. And he was, you know, well, hey, where's she at? I see her on TV. And then all of a sudden, you know, next, you know, a couple of days, I hear that he passed away. And I'm like, wow. It was just suddenly had a blood clot in his leg. So I'm like, oh. and then it traveled to the heart and he died. So it's really been really hard on the family. So I've just been keeping them in prayer. But that's why I always want to know, you know what? Let my life be right with the Lord. If I'm taken home, I want to be able to stand before the Lord and say, hey, you know what? These are the gifts and talents you've given me. This is what I'm giving back to you. This is what I've done for your kingdom. I want to be able to do that because I owe him so much. For everything he's done for me, everything he's cleaned me up from, all the mistakes I've made. And he still loves me. He still loves everybody else out here too. Amen. So looking at Judges chapter, seven, um, chapter 6, verses 7 through 10, it says, And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So right here, the people of Israel, they cry out to the Lord because of the oppression and the brutality they're experiencing. And they ask the Lord, hey, deliver me from my enemies. Because when it says the children of Israel cry out, that means that they were in serious distress. And they're desperately making a plea to the Lord and saying, Lord, I need your help. God, help me. And they're crying out because you know what happens? They end up coming to the end of themselves and they realize they can't deliver themselves. And they're recognizing now that their behavior and what they've been doing is wrong. And now they're asking the Lord, you know what, Lord, help me. And they're placing their full hope now when you see this in God alone to save them instead of an idol. It says, the psalmist said in Psalm 18, verse 6, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried to God for help, my God for help. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry for help before him came into his ears. And we do see this right here. We do see that the Lord does what? He hears the prayers of the, the people of Israel. 
And when you think about that, especially all the disobedience they've been doing and the things they've been going on, right here you see the compassion and character of God, that he hears their prayer. It shows that he is a loving God and he is compassionate. And that's beautiful right there, I always think, because you know what? Despite our shortcomings, the Lord still loves us, even through all of us here, despite my shortcomings. He shows mercy. He shows compassion. Even when we mess up, like I said, we have such a forgiving God. It says, it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I'm so thankful for that right there. I'm really thankful for that because often the Lord has to do what? He has to bring us to the end of ourselves in order for us to realize, hey, you know what? The way we're behaving, the things that we're doing, me depending upon my own self, it wasn't good for me. He allows us to, to do what? Hit rock bottom and go down that destructive path until we realize, hey, you know what? This is the wrong path. I need to depend upon the Lord. And here's one thing you can do. You can take several steps away from God. You can take several steps away from him, but it only takes one step to come back. That's by saying, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for what I've done. All it is is that one step. I could run a million steps away, but it's that one step of doing what? Turning back to the Lord. And I guarantee you this, he'll answer that prayer for you, especially if your heart is truly seeking him. And that's what the people of Israel did. They cried out to the Lord and they sought him with all their heart, coming to the end of themselves and realizing what they had done wrong. And it says, it's as, uh, it says in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 29 through 31, it says this, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. When you are in distress and all those things happen to you, in the latter days you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. For the Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not abandon you nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant with your fathers which he swore to them. And again, that's Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 29 through 31. And that's an awesome scripture right there because, again, that's one of the keys for, the, um, for deliverance is seeking God. Because it says what in that? You will seek the Lord and find him when you search for him with what? All your heart. Not just part of it, not just only seeking half-heartedly, but when you search for him with all your heart, when you truly seek after him, when you truly say, hey, you know what? I'm tired of my lifestyle. I'm tired of these things that are going on. The Lord will hear you. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to forget you. And I could think about that myself. I think about my experience that I had especially when I was 17 years old. I mean, I didn't come to salvation like most people, some people would, especially by an altar call. Uh, I didn't have that. I remember just, like I said, I was running the streets. I ended up getting locked up at the age of 17 up in San Bernardino County Juvenile Detention Center. Um, been up there a couple of days, and I'm thinking, oh, this is good. I got this, and it's all covered here. I'm sitting there trying to do push-ups in my cell because I think I'm a tough guy, you know what I mean? And then I wake up one night, you know, after sleeping, and I realized, you know what, I don't even recognize my surroundings, and I realized, you know what, I'm in the jail cell. So my mind starts going crazy, and I start pounding on the door. I'm like, Lord, get me out of here. I mean, I'm like, Lord, I'm like, get, get me out of here, get me out of here. And I remember no one heard me, and I kept screaming it louder and louder. And I finally, this is what I did. I wasn't a religious man. I hated God. I hated Jesus. I grew up Catholic. I didn't want anything to do with that. But I just remember saying right there, Lord, if you are real, Jesus, if you are real, please help me. And, and like no other, I remember the voice of the Lord telling me everything's going to be okay. And it was like his presence was in the room with me. And I just felt a peace. And I remember just sitting back down on the bed right there. And I was like, wow, this is, 
completely different. And I was at complete peace. But again, I cried out to the Lord in my distress and he heard me. And even us as, us as believers now, because we all go through stuff in our lives, we all go through stress, tribulation in our own life. We can cry out to the Lord and he will hear us and he'll meet us right where we're at. So again, moving on right here, there's a prophet of God that's done what? He was sent to the people to remind the people of why they're even in the bondage and why they're in the slavery. And he reminds them, hey, you know what? 40 years you guys were in the wilderness. 40 years I provided all the clothing, all the water, everything you needed. I was watching over you and protecting you. I drove out the nations before you. But what you did is you did what? You sought other gods. You abandoned me. That's what it says. That's what the prophet was telling him was the mind of God was being spoken to him. And he's saying that, you know what? You're in this situation now. All the troubles and miseries have happened to you because of your actions. And again, it's important for us to remember because we cannot have peace from God and peace with God. And we cannot have deliverance from God if we don't repent of our sins. Always remember that. If something is causing me to break fellowship with the Lord, then I'm not going to have any peace. I'm not going to have any peace in my life, especially if I'm a believer and I've tasted the goodness of God and I try to go back to what? The ways of the world. I'm not going to have any peace in that. As it says in Psalm 66, verse 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, which iniquity is sin, then the Lord will not hear. Because again, true repentance is the action of turning away from that which is evil or sin that's in my lives and truly seeking after God and saying, Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. Be with me, empower me, strengthen me. Help me in my ways. And the Lord will hear that prayer and, and he'll guarantee he'll answer that. But again, moving on to verses uh, 11 and 12 of Judges chapter 6, it says this. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrith, which belonged to Joash the Abzerite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. So right here in these passages, uh, we see the call of Gideon. We see the call of Gideon, that he's called right here by the Lord to do what? Be a judge, be a deliverer for the nation of Israel. And right here, the angel of the Lord, it, it was, we uh, studied before, it's the pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, or what they call a Christophany. And again, this is the physical manifestation of God in the Old Testament. And we can recognize this now as being the Son of God, which is Jesus. And how do we know that? Because when the angel of the Lord shows up in the Old Testament, he speaks as God. He identifies himself with God and he exercises the responsibilities of God. And we could see that clearly from the Old Testament scriptures. If you look at Exodus chapter 3, when the angel of the Lord revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. And also in, in Judges you know, chapter 2, as we read, uh, the angel of the Lord reveals himself to the people at uh, Bachim. And he even starts speaking to him, hey, I led you out of the, the nation of Egypt. I brought you out of here. This is where the land. But you, again, you haven't obeyed my voice. So we see clearly from Scripture, from the Old Testament, that the angel of the Lord is revealed as the pre-incarnate Christ. And most people, when they encounter the angel of the Lord, they always say, you know what? I've seen God. Now I shall die. Which sometimes I think is funny because it's like, man, I don't think the Lord's going to kill you if he just gave you a mission. <laughs> so... But again, right here, we see the mercy of God that's shown to the people because the Lord could have easily said this. He could have said, I'm sick and tired of dealing with these people. 
I'm sick and tired of the behaviors. I'm sick and tired of them crying out to me and then going right back into the pattern of disobedience and what they did before. I'm done with it. The Lord could have easily said that, but he didn't. He had mercy. He had compassion on them. And I'm glad for that because, like I said, many times in my own life, I've made mistakes. I've messed up. And the Lord hasn't dealt with me according to my sins. If I did, I think everybody in here would be destroyed <laughs> if he dealt with us according to our sins. And that's something I always wanted people to remind you. Never forget where you started from. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget how the Lord saved you. Because sometimes people develop over time as a believer. Sometimes they can get a self-righteous attitude and start looking down on other people because they're not in, in where, the position where they're at. So don't do that. Always have a heart of compassion for people. Don't forget where you started from. Never forget that. Stay humble in the sight of the Lord. But again, the Lord has compassion on us. He has mercy. He hears the cries of, of us as well. As it says in the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, it says this. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And also in Psalm 78, verses 38 and 39, it says, But he, being compassionate, forgave their wrongdoings and did not destroy them. And he often he restrained his anger and did not stir up all his wrath. So he remembered that they were only flesh. And when that passes and does not return. And that's a powerful passage. And, and again, I'm grateful that the Lord takes compassion on us and is merciful to us and is not angry forever. He doesn't, he doesn't stay angry with us. And so with his compassion, what do we see? We see that the Lord raises up Gideon as a judge to deliver the people of Israel. And Gideon's name, if you're not uh, familiar with it, it means hewer or hacker or great warrior. And Gideon also earned, earned another name, which we'll see later as uh, Jerebbabel. We'll see later in the chapter. And he earned that name for himself by tearing down and destroying the altar of Baal and also the idol that was next to it which um, belonged to his father that the Israelites were going and they were going and worshiping. But when you see Gideon's calling, when you first look at him, he doesn't look like a great warrior at all. When he first started off, he was really afraid. He was very fearful because when we see what Gideon's doing as he's first, uh, the, the Lord appears to Gideon. He's hiding in the wine press is basically what he's doing. And he's trying to gather up some wheat and thrush it in secret in fear of the Midianites coming and raiding him and even trying to kill him. So he's very afraid. He's not a, a, a warrior whatsoever. And again, when you're thinking about what Gideon's doing, trying to thrust some wheat in a wine press, it must have been extremely frustrating for him. Because how you would thrush wheat is that you would take the wheat in the threshing floor, um, which is always on the top of the hill, and then you would take the wheat with, with a tool that's called a, a winnowing fork and as the wheat would be, um, you would have the wheat there, you would uh, hit the wheat and it would be tossed in the air and it would basically blow out the chaff and all the bad stuff that was in there. So without having any wind to blow away the chaff, man, you would have a bunch of unusable parts that would still be in the wheat. And it would be very frustrating and trying to do it with the wine and near a wine press with no wind because usually that's downhill. There ain't no wind towards that area. And I could see Gideon himself just getting upset about the situation and just thrushing the wheat and the stuff's just coming down and hitting him. And he's just really upset. I can see him dealing with that. And also I could see him having some fear at the same time. Like, man, am I going to get raided at any moment? Am I going to get taken at any moment? And I can see that. He's dealing with fear. He's in the back of his mind thinking, you know what? I can get beat up. I can get killed for doing this. They can just come and take me. At the same time, he's probably asking questions like, man, why is this happening to us? Why is this going on? Why are we as a people going through this? I can see all these emotions 
just playing out in Gideon. Just like anybody, any one of us here would have those emotions. And then you suddenly have the Lord appearing to Gideon, and he calls Gideon a mighty man of valor. But again, Gideon was anything but mighty. He was, definitely didn't have no valor, because valor speaks of strength of mind or spirit that enables a person to deal, deal with um, danger. And it talks about bravery on the battlefield. And I don't see that with Gideon right here. And I'm pretty sure Gideon was like, man, I don't know if you're talking to the right person. Maybe there's somebody standing behind him. I could even see Gideon turn around to see if someone else was behind him. But again, it was the Lord that was speaking to him. Because the Lord saw in Gideon the potential of what Gideon would have in the future. His faith and trust that would be built up over time. And we see Gideon's first response in verses 13 and 14 of Judges 6. He says this, Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So right here we see Gideon's first response to the Lord. It's really a lack of faith. It's a lack of faith in the beginning. And Gideon even begins to start doing what? He starts questioning the Lord, basically saying, you know what? If God is with us, then why is this all happening to us? Why are we living in fear? Why are we constantly being raided? Where are all the miracles that I heard about in the past that were told to me? And this response of Gideon, when you think about it too, it's typical of people even today. The question of why towards God. Why? Why this, God, and why that? Why are these things happening to me? Why, you know, and that type of attitude is prevalent. It's prevalent even in people today. And people may even say, well, I pray and I ask God to move. I ask God to answer prayer, and he, he doesn't. Or people may even say, you know, how come God does not answer prayer like I used to see in the, in the Bible? How come he doesn't do that? How come he's not doing that in my life? How come he's not moving like I used to see in, in, the, in the Bible? And sometimes we need to ask ourselves, you know what? Am I living in the cycle of sin as a person? Is that why the Lord's not moving in my life? Am I not listening to the voice of the Lord? Am I not obeying his word? Because you know what? The Lord's not going to move me from step A to step B unless I first deal with step A, especially if he's told me, hey, there's something in your life I need you to take care of first. I need you to be obedient in this part of your life. He's not going to move me to point B unless I deal with what? Point A first. And sometimes, too, here's what happens. People start to blame God for their problems and things not going right in their life. Because, and it begin, it's because of their own actions that they start to blame the Lord. And it's not God's fault at all. It's simply the consequences of reaping what someone has sown, refusing to listen to the Lord. And again, what happens is people tend to get angry with the Lord for their own choices and the own things they have done. And saying, you know, God is doing this to me. God has done this. But it's not the Lord's fault. We should never blame the Lord or blame God every time something goes wrong in my life. That's not his plan for me. We do live in a fallen world. We do live in a sin-cursed world, which the Lord will redeem one day under him completely. Because we see why the people are suffering. Again, it's because they had forsaken the Lord and they worshiped idols. They worshiped the works of their own hands. And you can even think about that with even people today. What do they do? Worship the works of their own hands. 
I've made myself. I'm self-made. I've made this company here. I've made, you know, I got all these things. I got these cars. I got houses. I got it, whatever. And then that's what starts to happen. It's the worshiping of their own hands. And then something goes wrong in their life and they start blaming God immediately or they're not hearing from the Lord. But we see in, in verse 14 of Judges chapter 6 that the Lord doesn't even answer Gideon. He tells Gideon this, Go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And right here the Lord assures Gideon that he has sent him and he will be with him. And again, we can apply that to our own lives. And I think about that because if our life is yielded to God and he sends us something difficult in our life, most often we're not going to understand what's happening. We're not going to understand what's going on, especially what we're dealing with. Because life can be tough at times. It can be tough. Things happen. Things don't make sense. All of a sudden, you know, you, you have the loss of someone in your life that you really loved. Or somebody has a disease or some sickness comes upon somebody, a family member, and you're dealing with that. But just know that, you know what, it's come through the will of God, especially if my life is yielded to the Lord. I can trust him to see me through this. I can trust him to see me through this situation. And if I know I've been following God and obeying his will, then you know what? I know he'll be with me. That's what I can count on. I can remember that. He'll be with me. And that's an encouragement for even somebody out there today. The Lord will be with you. He'll take care of you in that. So moving on to Judges um, chapter 6, verses 15 and 16, it says this. So he said to him, Oh, my Lord. How can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord to him, said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. So Gideon right here is recognizing that he's been called by God to deliver the people of Israel, and that he's been called to do the work of the Lord. But he's still giving excuses to right, right here as why he cannot deliver the people. Hey, I can't go forward because you know what? I don't qualify in this position. That's basically what he's saying. You know what, my father's house is poor, I'm not noble, I'm not mighty, I don't come from a prestigious background, I'm just not qualified. And you know what, the Lord even tells him, don't worry about that, I'm going to be with you, I will defeat the Midianites. And that's something we need to remember, because the key to serving the Lord and being successful is that the Lord is with you. He's called you to this task, he's told you to go out there and do this, don't listen to anybody else of what they told you. And if the Lord has said, hey, go and do this, then he's going to bless you and he's going to be with you. It doesn't matter if you don't come from a prestigious or noble or highly educated background. That doesn't matter at all because that's not often whom the Lord does not even use. He doesn't use people mostly like that. He uses the things that what the world calls foolish. And I even think about 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. It says this, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. And I think about that right there because the Lord, again, uses those whom the world would consider foolish. I know for myself, before I came to Christ, I remember a lot of people used to say about me, especially when I was in high school, I had a lot of teachers say uh, things about me, adults, police officers, which I later became a deputy. So I'm like, man, praise God. But they used to say, man, this guy has the worst attitude ever. He has the worst attitude ever. He's going to end up either in debt or in jail. That's his future for him. And I still remember, too, my mom used to always pray for me 
even when I was in high school, she'd be crying a lot, and she would always tell me, you know what, I, I guess I got to look forward to the future of visiting my son in jail. And I'm like, you know, it, you, it is what it is. And I had a really poor attitude. And I remember she used to cry about that, but it's like the Lord took me and he changed me and he, and he completely gutted me from the inside out to who I am now. And, and I'm just sharing his word and bringing his message now. And like I said, with that, all glory goes to God. All glory goes to him, not to me. I wouldn't have cleaned up nothing. I would have made a mess. <laughs> you know? So, but again, too, remember this. When the Lord calls you to a position or he gives you a task, he's gonna equip you for that position. He'll provide everything you need. All you need to do is step out in faith. Step out in faith. And if the Lord is calling you to a task today and he's telling you, hey, step out in faith in this, he's gonna equip you. So let's look at, because uh, I'm short on time, I'm looking at the time up there. Let's look at verses 17 through 24, Judges chapter 6. It says, then he said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, and I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and he brought them out to, to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and unleavened bread and lay them on the, this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire arose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, alas, O, o Lord God, for I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear, you shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. To this day, it is still in Ophrah of the Azarites. Again, a few things in here, and then I'll end up closing to conclude the study. But we see right here that Gideon is starting to sense and feel that he's speaking with the Lord. But Gideon still has some doubt in his mind. So he's telling him, hey, you know what? I want to make sure uh, God is calling me to this task to take on the Midianites. Because when you think about it, man, that's a huge undertaking to go and take on an uh, um, army who's been oppressing you. So Gideon asked the Lord, hey, you know what? If I found favor with you, show me a sign. Show me a sign if, if this is you who I'm talking with. So you know what? I'm going to go prepare the meat. I'm going to prepare this bread and bring some broth. I'm going to leave it on this rock. And when he does bring it back, the Lord touches it with the staff and fire comes out of the rock and it consumes the bread and the meat. And the Lord departs out of the fire, you know, in his sight. And that would have been awesome to see. I would have been like, whoa, if I would have saw that. Um, and again, when you think about that lesson right there, here's something that you can remember. If the Lord has called you to a certain task and it's a call from God, especially if you're going to be doing some ministry work or taking on something, whatever it is, we need to make sure that the Lord is calling us to that task. Otherwise, it's going to end up in disaster. Make sure it's the Lord who has called you, not your, yourself and your own desire wanting to do something. Because if you start off to do something that the Lord says, hey, he's not in it, it's going to end up in disaster. Make sure you're guided by God. Make sure you're moving forward um, in God and make sure it's guided by prayer. Make sure in that. Because again, as I said, if it's not of the Lord, it's going to fall apart. The second thing we see right here is that Gideon provides the best sacrifice and offering. Even though Gideon is poor and he's impoverished, 
He gives to God the best that he has. And that was a lot for Gideon to do when you think about it, because he didn't have much. He was oppressed, right? They took a lot of his stuff away, but he gave the best meat and bread, and he just didn't just give the leftovers. Because some people only give the leftovers to God. They give what's left over, and that's not honoring to the Lord. Always remember that. God is honored when we take the best of what we have and we sacrifice it to him. Even honor our lives as a sacrifice unto the Lord, as it says in Romans 12. And remember this too, you can never outgive God. You can never outgive the Lord. And he'll bless you for giving out of a, and doing so out of a pure heart. And even if you're struggling with giving, even if finances are tight, make sure you still give a portion to the Lord. That's why I always tell people, because I guarantee you the Lord will honor that and he'll bless you for that and he'll provide in some way for you. And the reason I say that is because I've experienced that. The Lord has provided for me in that way. I didn't have much at times. I would still give to the Lord and the Lord was always faithful to provide for me. I could never outgive him. It says Psalm 37, 25 says, it says, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. And I'm 43 and I'll be almost 44. And like I said, I've been through a lot of my life and the Lord has never abandoned me. He's always provided. So give to the Lord out of your best. And again, right here, the last thing we see with Gideon is that he recognizes that he's in the presence of God, but he thinks he's about to die. I mean, like I said, I think that's kind of funny. It's like, I'm gonna die because I just saw the Lord. But um, the Lord reassures him that everything is gonna be all right. Everything's gonna be okay. And he tells him, you know what, be at peace. Be at peace. And Gideon needs this peace, and he needs this reassurance, and he needs this comfort from the Lord. Why? Because Gideon is about to face one of the biggest battles of his life. He's going into warfare. He's going to be going into conflict that's beyond him, and he's going to need the peace of the Lord to be with him. And even some of you today out there, maybe you're facing a battle. Maybe you're facing a conflict. Maybe you're experiencing the difficulty or struggling with something or experiencing some spiritual warfare that's in your life, and it's beyond for you to handle. And it may even seem at times, you know what, things are overwhelming. It feels like one wave on top of another. I just keep, keep getting hit with the waves and getting knocked down. But know this, just like getting, we can know that the Lord is with us, and he'll be our peace. And if he's called me to something, he's going to see me through. He who began a good work in me will do what? Complete it till the day of Jesus Christ. So we can remember that. He'll see us through the storm. So let's close in prayer right here. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for seeing you raise up Gideon, Lord, just as a judge and the things that you told him, that you'll be with him, that you'll be his peace because he's gonna go out there. He's gonna face the, one of the biggest battles of his life to deliver the nation of Israel. And we um, look forward to seeing, Lord, how you build the confidence in him, the faith in him. And may you increase our faith just as you did with Gideon. And Lord, may we always step out in faith and trust you in all things. And Lord, we just um, ask that you go before us even this week as we uh, step out in faith, even in the um, mission field that's not inside the church, but it's always outside. May we um, bring your word to others, to a dying and hurting world. In Jesus' name, amen.